It's October, it's Monday, it's media day. The Pacers season officially kicks off today. What am I going to be asking and curious about on media day? We'll talk about that today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, everybody? Happy Monday, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're talking about Media Day, which is, if you're listening to this, today, or maybe already happening, or maybe already happened if you're listening later in the day, but it's still going to be relevant information because tomorrow we'll break down what was said at Media Day, an important day for teams to get a sense of what they're feeling, get a sense of how things are going, get the latest info from every player on the biggest storylines. It's a big day, both for, of course, media types like me and for fans to learn what to expect from their team this season. We learned a lot from Chad Buchanan last week on Tuesday. You can hear more about that presser on last Wednesday's podcast with Derek Kramer. And tomorrow, of course, on the Media Day Breakdown, somebody who is there uh, will be on the show and somebody who I have not been on for a while. I uh, repeat guests uh, try to as little as I can within a short period of time. Today, we're going to break down some of the stuff I am the most curious about hearing. We'll do one segment on Rick Carlisle, one segment on starters, and one segment on the rest of the players. I typed out all my questions. I probably won't go through every single one. <laughs> that would take a long time. But in general, I think the one theme I'm going to have for lots of players is what is going to it going to take for the Pacers to improve defensively this season, right? That was the big story from exit interviews last year was every player, at least most players to some extent when asked like, what's the next step for the Pacers was we got to be better on defense, right? Worst defensive team in the league from the all-star break to the end of the season have been in the bottom five, two years in a row, right? For a team with miles Turner, their floor should be higher than that, but they haven't been because their perimeter defense has been so awful. Is there going to be a schematic change? Is there going to be lineup changes? Is there going to be more accountability and tweaks? That kind of stuff I'll probably be asking everybody, so I I will, of course, talk about that as the show progresses, but if you feel like I'm evading defense, just know that that question is probably coming for everybody. In fact, I have a big, giant, all-caps line in my notes for player questions tomorrow that says, lots of defense questions. (laughs) They will not be missed. Let's start with Rick Carlisle and the biggest thing I ask him every year. I ask the head coach of the Pacers this every single media day that I've attended so far. What does a successful season look like to you? Right. Last year, I think Carlisle gave a perfect answer. And a reminder of this, last week, last year, excuse me, he was talking a few days after Kevin Pritchard had explained the front office had this new way of thinking they were implementing, longer term thinking, right? They wanted to be a competitor, a sustained competitor in the future at the sacrifice maybe of the present. And then Rick Carlisle, when asked about success on Media Day last year, said to him, it would be obvious growth week to week, month to month, whatever, where he could look back, you know, Max seven days ago. Yes, we're better at this than we were then. We're better at that than we were then. And then at the end of January, he can say, well, compared to the beginning of December, we're way better at this or we're way better at that or this guy's better at this. And that makes sense. They were a growing team last year. They just also happened to be pretty good. <laughs> they were five over 500 at the halfway point. If Halliburton doesn't get hurt, who knows how last year's season goes? That was a good answer. And it proved to be a good mark of success. They had a good season in that way. This year, I'm expecting a different answer, but I'm curious what he'll say after Chad Buchanan last week said kind of towing both lines with talking about 
what the Pacers' success would be, right? And I think that quote got taken a lot out of context, a lot of, not even that, that's wrong. It was taken perfectly in context. I think people just hung on to certain parts of that too much, right? He's Like Chad Buchanan did say that they're going to continue to think long-term, but he also said they, they want to win. Like every team wants to win games. Uh, so we'll see what Rick says this year. I'm very curious to see. That'll probably be the first question I ask him. I also want to ask him about the second thing Chad Buchanan talked about that I thought was a big deal and something I wrote about the day before that that I think is going to be significant for the Pacers this season, the competition in camp, upcoming training camp battle for minutes. Not only is that going to be a battle through training camp, it's going to be a battle all season. It matters for guys' livelihoods and careers, and it matters for the Pacers, obviously. So what I'm going to ask Rick is, what's going to be important to you in deciding who earns minutes, right? Is it youth and potential? Is it current success? Is it defense? You know, there could be many ways you could take that answer. And I'll be curious what he says, right? Because that could kind of be telling on what could be happening in the next couple of weeks, how guys can earn time who don't earn it right out of camp, right? All sorts of things could be learned by that. And I think, you know, everybody has a general sense of what the top 10 or 11 could be for the Pacers, but there's always a surprise, right? Every year I try to map out the rotation. There's always a surprise, even if it's something minor and small, right? What's that going to be, if anything, this year? And how does that matter for the Pacers? And is there description for why that thing is a surprise make a lot of sense? The third one, and this one I'll ask to a couple of players, so I don't want to harp on this too much, but I want Rick's perspective on the Buddy Heald situation. Well, and I'm going to ask him by saying, what does Buddy Heald mean to this team, right? Because he's the head coach, right? Rick knows how to use Buddy. Buddy's played very well. In fact, better than he's played for any other team. He also is not a good defensive player. And the team wants to get better on defense. And I'll be asking everybody, including Buddy Heald, probably about defensive growth. But what does Rick see as Buddy Heald's role, as Buddy Heald's abilities, and how Buddy Heald can help this team, especially if he has a new role this season, which it sounds like, given that the Pacers said last week in their media availability that Benedict Matherin is going to open camp as the starter. We'll see if that lasts. We'll see who the other starter is. It could be Matherin and Heald. I'd be surprised. I think it's going to be Bruce Brown. But... If it is those two, what do you see for Heald? How does he help this team? And what's his future look like? And of course, other questions about his future and all sorts of stuff like that. And the ensuing follow-up to that is, okay, Ben's not your starter, or Buddy's not your starter. What do you see for Ben this year? What do you want to see from Benedict Matherin this year? I have to be careful now. I keep saying Ben, Benedict Matherin is Ben in my head. Even though he said he wanted to go by Benedict last year, now he calls himself Ben and people call him Ben. Um, and he said he goes by Ben and they call Ben Shepard Shep. Um, Benedict Matherin, what does Rick want to see from him this year? How does he want to see growth from him? I think the answer is going to be passing. We've heard that from a lot of people throughout the summer within the Pacers. Um, and I think Matherin even said that himself. At Summer League, he had six assists, I believe, in that second Summer League game, but zero in the first one, right? What what is that? What does Rick want to see there? Or is it shooting? Is it defense? Is it continuing to play hard as he's coached hard and hope that the growth comes? I don't know. There's a lot of ways this can be a successful season for Mather, and maybe it's just his fit with Tyrese Halberton, but I will be curious what Rick has to say about that because Matherin's role this season and his growth is very significant for this team and their long-term outlook, especially his fit next to Tyrese Halberton. Uh, the last one I typed as an actual question for Rick Carlisle is what changes do you see for the defense? I alluded to that earlier, right? He's the coach and they've been bad defensively the last two seasons. Now I think a lot of that is roster based. Um, two years ago, they were okay on defense his first year until COVID hit and until they made a bunch of trades and then they completely cratered 
down the stretch of that season. Last year's team was not a good defensive team all season. Some of it's roster-based, but can they make any changes schematically to improve defensively? Because they have been at their best, at least since I've been covering the team, a good team, and they've been really good on defense. Now, granted, those teams that were awesome on defense under Nate McMillan had a lot of defensive talent, right? That makes a lot of sense. Thad Young, Miles Turner, Victor Oladipo is already a really good defensive trio, and then you mix in throughout those teams. Corey Joseph was very pesky uh, on the defensive end of the floor. O'Shea Brissett was on those teams and was a good defender. Brogdon was a good defender, right? They've had better talent until the Carlisle era, and he had some of these guys at the start. But, you know, is there anything he wants to do differently, or is it just all to him about guys improving and things of that nature? Because I'd be curious how he views himself in that statistic. And the last one I would like to generally ask him about is the balance of experience and wins this season, right? To me, this has been kind of a mixed in with some of the answers we've heard from team officials recently. But, you know, Chad Buchanan said last week, like about towing the line of winning and long term. And that makes sense. They added Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin. Clearly, they want to be better. But also, they could, over half of their projected 10-man rotation is going to be guys with less than four years of experience, right? Halberton has three. Matherin has one. Nemhard has one. Walker has zero. Um, Neesmith has three. And their backup center is going to have very few. And I'm missing one. And their Toppin has three. So there could actually be seven, <laughs> depending on who all is playing and who isn't. So out of 10 guys... Right, the only three with more would be Miles Turner, uh, Buddy Heald, and Bruce Brown, and maybe another one if Daniel Tice is the backup five or McConnell's in there. But even if it's McConnell and Tice, it's still over half the rotation. So, how they figure out balancing those things, experience and growth, will be very telling about their season and how Rick Carlisle feels about it. There'll be many other interesting questions asked of him. I'm not the only person there, obviously. Uh, and if you think there's something I should ask, you should comment down below. You're watching on YouTube or tweet at me at Tony R. East. In the next segment, we'll get to the starting five questions I have for each member of that group and stuff. I'm looking to hear from those guys as we transition into the season with training camp beginning on Tuesday. Before we hop into that, though, I got to talk to you guys about the Game Time app. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event, the Colts, a concert, whatever. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With Carol Last Minute Deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. I bought New York Liberty tickets when I was in uh, in Brooklyn in June. It was super easy. It was really fun. <laughs> I had a great time at Barclays. And I highly recommend using Game Time to do it. That's what I did. It was great. It was fast. It was easy. And it was nice to see the seat view. That actually is how I ended up deciding which seat I wanted. Uh, you can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what you're getting. All the prices shown up front, right there, no hidden fees. You know you're getting that great deal right away. You can buy your tickets in seconds with two taps on the Game Time app, and they have deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour before it starts. It's the place to find those last-minute deals. They have the zone deals. They have the Game Time guarantee as well, so you know you're always getting the best price if you find cheaper tickets in the same section. Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So down the Game Time app, create an account, use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply, but again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKDOWNNBA, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you, as always. For making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. 
Oh, my Lord. Where to start? Obviously, last week we talked about the Damian Lillard trade, so the Bucks is a good way to go, or the Blazers is a good way to go, but the Blazers... Mike Richmond and Locked On Blazers. I mean, can you even put out enough episodes to keep up with this? Now they traded Drew Holiday to the Celtics. Can we just skip to a Buck Celtics series? I don't care what round it's in. I want to see it. I can't wait. Locked On Celtics. Drew Holiday's on that team. John Corrales will have the latest on, for my money, the best top six in the NBA. But their depth after that is not very good. Or Locked On Blazers for their great return for Drew Holiday. What a fascinating update that was to last Friday's podcast talking about Drew and what all that could mean and I mean if that look I think the Pacers made sense for Holiday uh, I didn't think it's quite the right time for a deal like that but at that price the Pacers definitely shouldn't have pursued Drew Holiday at this particular time in their build there is a time perhaps going forward where it would have made sense it is not now either way locked on Blazers and locked on Celtics there and the Blazers side are they going to keep ex-Pacer Malcolm Brogdon there's a lot to come from that that's not what you're here for you're here for the Pacers talk let's continue by talking about some starters when I'm going to want to ask these players. I'm going to ask Halburn and Ben Matherin about each other, actually. I think that's something I want to start with here. How do you think you'll fit together this year? Or what's important to fit as well together as possible? I want to hear that from both of them, right? Is it Ben's shooting? Is it Ben's passing? Is it something else? Is it just better timing, playing together more often? Is it Tyrese figuring out how Ben likes to get the ball and when. Is it Ben figuring out when is the best timing for him to run to get the ball from Halliburton? All sorts of stuff. There's a million micro skills and, and big picture skills that could make them better fits. I'll be curious what they think the answer is because to me, a lot of their long-term outlook changes if that goes really well or really poorly. And obviously, I don't expect it to go awful. They had a positive net rating with them together last year, but how's that going to go? How's that going to look? And really, for both of them, how can you be better, right? What are the skills you hope to be better at because that backcourt's going to be absolutely fascinating this season. Something I want to ask Tyrese Halburn specifically. When we caught up with him at uh, the NBA Draft Lottery, uh, I asked him about watching the playoffs, right? Because is he watching it? How's that working for him? Is he learning anything from that? And remember, if you remember back then, he said he was texting with the front office every day about the postseason. Stuff he's seeing, what he thinks the Pacers need, some half-court offense growth because the game slows down a lot. He said, I need to be there. I need to be in the postseason. And that was after TJ McConnell talked about the playoffs, the eggs interviews, and Jordan Wara has now talked about the playoffs, and I caught up with him a few weeks ago. Pacers players want to be there. I think a lot of the Pacers truly want to be there, coaches and front office too. But there's a long-term element to this, and I just explained in the first segment that over half of this team's rotation, potentially, is going to be inexperienced. What will it take to overcome that inexperience to be a postseason team? I want to hear what Tyrese Halbert has to say about that because he hasn't, I know he hasn't been in the postseason, but I'm curious what he thinks the answer is and how do they do it. And of course, Tyrese Halberton, what does this team need to improve defensively? That's going to be a question for everybody. I also want to ask Ben Matherin if he thinks anything will be different about starting. Of course, he got to do it 20 times last year, so it's not like it's brand new, but if there's more expectations that come with it. You're different ranked on the scouting report in the starting file. Like, what does he anticipate being different in that sort of setting? And of course, the defensive question will come for him as well. Bruce Brown, I'm penciling him in as the starter for now. Uh, so he gets to be in this segment. Being around more, I'm curious now that he's been with the team for long enough to like form relationships with guys, be in town, all sorts of that kind of stuff. Does he anticipate his fit or see his fit any differently than he did back right after he was acquired, right? On July 6th, obviously, you can hear him explain why he chose the Pacers and how he thinks he'll fit and the early conversations he's had. Well, now it's October 2nd. What has, you know, it's been three months, right? 
what has happened since then? <laughs> have you played with somebody and gone, oh, this will be great? Or have you had a conversation with someone that explained a little bit different about your role? What do you think you'll do the best to help this team now that you've kind of been around these guys? Something else I want to ask him, is there anything about the Nuggets culture and style that you think is duplicatable? The Nuggets are fascinating to me, not because they're like the greatest championship team blueprint ever, but because they are interesting from a Pacers perspective in that they got their stud, they built out slowly from there, they made that player their identity and slowly kept adding to it until they won a championship. Pacers can, in theory, copy that in a Halberton-esque way, but also they had to really figure out how to survive when Jokic wasn't in the game. They've had very similar continuity and culture for years with like minor tweaks, right? Getting KCP was a huge deal for them. Um, Aaron Gordon as well a few years ago, right? What did what did stood out to Bruce Brown about that team? Because he was on the Nets team that was supposed to be that good and it wasn't, right? What was it about the Nets or the Nuggets that was so good besides Jokic that you know made everything gel and made it all the identity of a title team? And can that come to the young Pacers group or can he bring any of that to the team? Obi Toppin, same kind of deal with Bruce Brown now that he's been around more. How does he think he'll fit a little better? We've talked to him a lot more recently than Bruce Brown, like very end of July, early August at that Pro-Am, if you remember. So I saw him at his camp in August. Like I, I feel pretty good about his answers there. He's knowing the team a little better. What I am curious about for him is going back to something that Gogo with Todd's I would always talk about. Obi Toppin, if you know your role is going to be bigger and you know that you're going to play more and potentially even start, does knowing all that change your prep? Right. Of course, he's going to have to change his prep in some ways because it's a different team. It's a different style. But does knowing opportunity is coming make you more laser focused? Does it make you think more about what success is for you? How do you sort of see that going for you? And the other question I'll have for him is what do you think your strengths are in the half court? I think Obi Toppin's an awesome transition player. He sees space. He takes space. He's athletic and speedy enough to get around guys. He's going to pair well with the Pacers because of that. It's the half court, though. When it's a slowed down game, what is he going to do? It's going to really add to the Pacers offense. I know what Tyrese Halberton can do. I have a pretty good idea of what Bruce Brown can do in those settings. I know what Miles Turner can do after last season. Benedict Matherin is probably better in the half court than transition right now. Obi Toppin, what is your strength? I just bumped my desk. Apologies. Going to be in those half court settings. Is it pick and rolls? Is it cutting in? Is it being a better shooter? What do you think it is? And what does the Pacers think it is? We'll learn a lot about that in the preseason and of the season. And Miles Turner, he's the guy I want to hear from the most about the improving on defense because he's been the anchor of very good defenses, of course. He's the best defensive player on the team. I'll be curious about his media day experience in general. <laughs> Every year for him, it was the same thing. How do you see yourself and Sabonis fitting together this year? What are you guys going to do differently to fit together this year? And then finally, that storyline's gone last year at media day. And instead, it was... The Lakers stuff, the trades, he comes up to the podium. No one even asks him anything. He says, I'm only addressing all this once and runs through the contract stuff, right? Nothing on media day. No BS for Turner. Career year, he's the center. No Aiton stuff, right? I want to know how that feels like for him. We got him at his camp a little bit, but it's definitely more real in media day in a Pacers uniform. I want to ask him also what he thinks Halberton can be as a franchise leader. And if he... The last person on this roster who's been in the playoffs as a Pacer, what does he think this team needs to get to the postseason? Is that actually a plausible goal for the squad? Because he knows what it takes. He knows what the talent level required to be there is. I have a lot of questions for him, truly, because I think he's an important player and an important piece to this team going forward. We'll see if I think of anything else or if anything else interesting comes up from somebody else. Or if you, listener, think of something, again, 
Comment down below if you're watching on YouTube or tweet at me at Tony R. East. Although media day is pretty early, so you're going to have to get the questions in kind of early in the day. One more segment, lots more players. I'll go through the highlights of some of the stuff. I want to be asking the reserves or younger guys growing to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. We've got an NFL side, and if you're a Colts and Pacers duo listener, Locked On Colts will be a blast today. 23-0 Rams, suddenly 23-23 Colts, and then a painful overtime loss. But a fun game, at least by all accounts, for the Colts. I watched the end of it on a walk with my family on my phone. If you want the latest on the Colts and that game, Locked on Colts has you covered on the OT loss to the Matt Stafford-led Rams. By the way, I just had the worst fantasy sports day of my life yesterday. <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into it, but in my dynasty league, my three quarterbacks are, are Derek Carr, Mac Jones, and Deshaun Watson. So my best guy got 3.5 points. In my fantasy baseball league, I lost in the championship game because my pitcher had his start canceled because he's on the Marlins and their game got canceled. That was going to be Monday and his start got eliminated. And in my redraft football league with my friends, I lost by like 40 points. Probably the worst day for me in fantasy ever in terms of results and finances. That's okay. We push on. It's media day time. It's pacer time. And no one cares about my fantasy teams. No one cares about anybody's fantasy teams. But I had to vent because I don't have anyone else to vent to. Who else will I be asking questions to? Well, he answers everybody that they'll let us talk to. What other questions am I going to have for guys? TJ McConnell, I'll be interested. What kind of conversations he's had with the team about a role change, if anything, because that'll be telling about what they think the bench could be, uh, and what he feels about that. And also for him, he's the oldest guy on the team now. I mean, him and him and Tice are nine days apart in age. So that's like sort of accurate. I mean, he is technically the oldest. But you know, what does, does he feel that? Is that like a thing? Does he know he needs to be a vet? He's always been a vet. He's always been a good leader, even as a player. And I think that's actually been important that he plays for his leadership in the past. But you know, do, do you feel that when you're the oldest guy? on the team, and what does that actually mean for him this coming season? Andrew Nemhard, um, I, I want to just know if he expects more ball handling reps this season. And I also, I didn't get a chance to ask him this at Summer League. What did he make of being one vote away from all rookie, <laughs> the all-rookie teams, right? Did he think he deserves it? Is that motivating at all? And he's a good guy for me, I think, to ask about this team's defensive improvement because he could play so many roles, because he's one of the better point-of-attack defenders this team currently employs. What does he think defensive improvement is for this team? What is his role in making this team a defensive threat and being a more capable team on that side of the ball? All right, let's just jump it. Buddy Heald. It's the third segment. I probably should have thrown him in the second segment. I know fans want to hear from Buddy Heald tomorrow. He'll be the guy that will be the Twitter video guy. You'll definitely see the most stuff about him there. Look, obviously the extension stuff's going to be asked. Did he get offered anything? Why did he decline it? What does he think about his long-term future with the Pacers? What I want to ask him uh, beyond that stuff, I do want to know that information. What, Buddy Heal, what do you think your role is going to be this season? And then after he answers, or maybe this is in his answer, are you excited about that role? You know, because that will be telling. And I know that there's a chance he'll say something that isn't maybe not exactly what he means. In fact, let me, I should have caveated this at the start of the show. There's a lot of answers that could be maybe partially or not entirely what players mean on media day. But I will be curious what Buddy Heald says about that and what he thinks his role is going to be this season. Does he think he's going to stay with the Pacers? Was the extension offer? What what was it that made it, as the Athletic reported, not desirable? I'll just be curious a lot about what he's thinking and what he expects this 
upcoming season and what he wants to be better at this season because if he's going to turn 31 this year and wants a big contract, he's still got to show he's good at getting better for teams to continue to want to invest in him. Uh, I We haven't heard a lot about Aaron Smith this summer besides will he be in the rotation or not because he didn't play in summer league and you know just wasn't around as much as some other guys. But I want to know what he worked on and what he's hoping for about uh, hoping for the season, not playing at the four as much, and extension stuff. I think of the extension eligible players on the Pacers, he's the most likely guy to get one by the time the season starts. I'll be curious if he's had any of those conversations with the team, if he's hoping to, what that would look like for him. He does fit in well culturally. He's a good player. A three, Even a 3 and D light wing who can be your like eighth guy in a playoff rotation is a valuable player to invest in in some way. Who knows if he'll actually be that kind of guy, but I think he's on the path, and I'd be willing to invest as the Pacers. We'll see what Neesmith thinks of that if he's asked it. Jairus Walker, also a guy I probably should have got to a little earlier in this, but I just mostly sorted this positionally. Uh, we've chatted with him a lot this summer, so I kind of get his deal and what he's going to say in general. Um, but I am curious how his elbow is. He had surgery to clear up loose bodies. He did talk about it with Scott Agnes on the Fieldhouse Files podcast. I want to know more about it. I also want to know why he changed his number. Uh, some of it could just be that Obi Toppin said, hey, I want the number. Let's make a deal. And also, who's been helpful to him so far? I'll probably ask Ben Shepard this too, but I'm always curious what veteran-rookie relationships really stand out for players, and it's cool to see them kind of exist throughout a season. And I'll be curious who Jairus Walker kind of identifies as his vet or his OG. I did laugh when the Pacers got Buddy healed two years ago, right? He Lance Stevenson was... You know, a guy that was one of his vets back in New Orleans, uh, funnily enough. So they, they were reunited, of course, last year. It was funny to hear that. Uh, if, if Lance Stevens is one of your OGs, you've had quite the career. Um, and continuing on, I should have done Jairus earlier. Daniel Tice is who I just have. There's the center here, but we'll get to all the centers. Um, is he healthier, right? Especially compared to last year. He didn't even, I don't think he was at media day. He was sick for media day and then had the knee injury and then had surgery. Like, we probably talked to him. For the first couple months of the season. So is he healthier? How important is playing to him versus being a vet? Like, again, he's nine days away from being the oldest player on the team, and he's in a contract year, right? What is he hoping for this year? And what was that Germany run like? What is that going to mean for him this year, being in that sort of setting? Will it set him up well? Of course, he's going to say he wants to play. Every player wants to play. But I'll be curious what his answer is to a question like that. Those are the guys that are in the rotation group also the other backup bigs we'll get to in a second but you know i have plenty more typed down for a lot of these guys but they're all in interesting groups right mcconnell half expiring contract and embard what's his role going to be buddy Hill, the expiring contract tice expiring contract jaris walker a rookie and neesmith extension eligible right not only are their answers telling for the now but they all have kind of question marks about their future so hearing how they're settling in what their situation is how that's all going to go of course is something I am interested in, and I think something they're all interested in, quite frankly. It'll be telling to hear from all of them. Four more guys uh, in this segment. The other two backup bigs, I could have done either of them instead of Tice when just running through the list of names. Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, my questions for them are pretty similar, right? What will it take to earn playing time? Tice could get asked the same question. Uh, he's the most talented of the three, so I, I don't think it makes as much sense for him, but... You know, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, what will it take for you guys to get on the floor this year, to play, to be the backup five, to earn those 18 to 20 minutes every single night behind Miles Turner, or play well enough that maybe you have to play the four a little bit when the team goes big, right? What will that take to earn that spot? Is it growth of the skills you're good at? Is it adding new stuff? Is it fitting in the defensive scheme that the team is implementing? What is it for you? And also, what are the key skills for you guys to add this year. They're both young. They're both developing bigs. What can they add to make the team better and to make them more appealing options as the backup five 
for the Pacers. They both have skills they could add. I think both of them should probably focus a little on refinement of their current abilities, but adding skills is never a bad thing, especially at such a young age. Ben Shepard, same thing with Jarris Walker, who the helpful vets have been. I'll be curious about. Um, I also want, I'm curious about what he kind of wants to show this year, right? I think of him as a shooter. I'm assuming the Pacers think of him as a shooter, given that they talked about his shooting right when they drafted him, right when they came out and did media with us after that. What else can he do? What else does he envision himself doing this year? Can he put the ball on the floor? Can he make passes? What else is he going to be able to do as an older rookie? I'll be curious about his relationship with Jarris Walker, and I'll be curious if he's okay accepting G League assignments because there's a chance he plays more there than he does with the Pacers, at least early in the year, health permitting. We'll see. Uh, I don't know that that's the case. First-round picks don't play a ton in the G League, but I think he'll get some assignments, especially if the Maddens are in Indiana all the time, and I think that could be good. That's a good way to get him reps. Is he cool with that? Of course, again. What he says, what he means, could be different answers. We'll see. No one loves G League assignments, but I'll be curious how he feels about them. And the last one, Jordan Wara. feel bad for the guy getting buried after a good year, but it's how the Pacers roster set up. So same idea with the backup bags. How do you get on the floor? Right? He said he's losing weight this summer. Is that his answer? How does playing lighter change your game? Right? Can that help you get on the floor? And for him, it could be shooting. It could be defense. In fact, defense is likely a factor for a lot of these guys we've talked about getting on the floor. But what's it going to take for Jordan Ward to play more this year? And I'm curious for him and a lot of guys in contract years, what's a successful season for Jordan Wara? Is it improving? Is it earning a rotation spot? Is it playing well enough to get another contract? Right? There's a lot of things at play for a lot of these guys. What is a successful season for him? In fact, a lot of guys could be asked that question and give interesting answers. That is my media day notage. We'll get a lot of these answers tomorrow. I'm looking forward to breaking them all down again with someone who is there. I can't say who it is because I don't know. We'll see who all is there and I'll bug somebody and I'll say, hey, do you want to do a podcast about this later? And hopefully they say yes, because that's how it is. Last year was Evan Sidery. The year before that, I think it was, I can't remember. But we'll talk about it tomorrow. It's going to be great. And then they're practicing Tuesday for the first time. So we'll have lots coming here on Lockdown Pacers about the Pacers playing basketball. Can't wait. Thank you guys a ton for listening and sticking with us this offseason. We're here. We're hearing from the players. Basketball is going to happen. And we'll have it all here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon.